Hey, it's Joe Trapel. This is Caught Inside. How's it going, everyone? And welcome back to Caught Inside. This is the sixth episode out of seven. Today is day 11 of the Australian quarantine. And today I am joined with Lakey Peterson. Lakey, hi. It's so good to see you. Hi, Joe. It's great to see you, too. I'm connecting with someone from sort of the outside world, outside of my room. So it's great to see your face. (laughs) Day 11. How good does that sound? I know. I. It's finally at the point, like we were just talking before we went live, of where the light is at the end of the tunnel. Before today, it kind of just felt like I was buried in the hole. <laughs> but I feel like we're getting out on Monday, and um, yeah, things are, are looking up. So I'm excited to get back into the ocean very, very soon. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. I mean, I... Really straight away, I can't get over this idea that your husband had for himself that's actually still going underway. <laughs> Thomas Allen, uh, where did he come up with this idea and what's he doing right now as we speak? So he's, um, I'll show you. <laughs> he's on the bike and he's doing, <laughs> there he is, he's doing 24 hours on the spin bike. So he's been going for 14 hours. And uh, he's doing it for charity, though. So uh, the World Wildlife Fund is the organization he's raising money for. And it's pretty cool. They, they protect kind of wildlife sanctuary areas um, so wildlife can flourish and thrive. But he loves this sort of thing. Anything that he can just push himself to the max is very up his alley. So, yeah, he's been going all night. He started at 5.30 last night, and he'll end tonight at 5.30. So, yeah. He's, he's doing good, but I think um, sitting on the seat is the hardest part for him. He said he's just super sore. <laughs> I got I got really nervous when I he posted that. I think earlier you probably helped him post it, and it was going, wait, he was only like an hour in. He's like, hang on, this is going to be the hardest part, and knowing he still had like 23 yeah. hours to go. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, it's he's he's insane. He's very inspiring to me. I I was laughing last night because he was doing a 24 hour spin ride and I cracked open a Corona. <laughs> and so we chose to spend day 10 of quarantine in very different places. <laughs> but um, but no, he's uh, he's inspiring. He's doing good. He's going to make it. He's I think he's kind of past the first hump. So he's he's feeling like he's got it. Uh, well, we're backing you, Tom. Uh, hang in there, man, and doing it for a good cause, which is great. But it, it automatically reminded yeah. me of a, a movie I saw with Laird Hamilton, and he's a guy that's all about his fitness, but also pushing his pain threshold as well. And he was talking about crossing oceans and freezing temperatures and just having everything in his body hurting. And he said, yeah, maybe I just like it for the misery of the whole experience. <laughs> That's not a thing that everyone signs up for, but uh, can you speak to right. that like threshold where I guess at a smaller level on an athlete, you're pushing yourself daily for training and that's rewarding to go past what you thought you could do before. And then there's the whole other level with proving yourself that you can do the impossible. Yeah, I think it's just certain personalities, right? Of of um, how far you want to push yourself or you think you can push yourself. And 
Tom, my husband, very much has the same personality as like a Laird, <laughs> crazy person. <laughs> um, but it is really different, I would say, too. We were actually just talking about it where as an athlete, take take me like I go to the gym for two hours and it's super high intensity for those two hours. And we were just talking about soreness and how sore you can get from doing like a really intense two hour gym session versus something like what he's doing right now of just 24 hours, slow, long just painful for a really long time it's more of like a mental thing um but i feel like it's like the david goggins type of mentality you just feel like you could probably do anything after you conquer something like that so um yeah i don't know different personalities that's not really my personality (laughs) i'd rather stick to the two-hour gym session (laughs) uh so cool and you two met on tour he's from the bells area can you tell us about that how you guys linked up yeah, so Tom's from Bells. He literally lives like two miles from Bells Beach. So it's right there, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, we met because I, I was obviously there for the contest quite a few years ago. And um, we just had some mutual friends who introduced us. And then, yeah, since then we've been together, which is almost, it's been like eight years now, which is crazy how fast that went. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. Since obviously Tom and I have been together, I've spent way more time in the Bells area outside of just the event, um, which has been so awesome. It's such a beautiful coastline down there and the waves are amazing. If you go, you know, like when you're at an event, Joe, and we always obviously just surf the one spot that we're competing at, um, which is great because it's generally the best spot in that area. But to be able to go to Bells outside of competition now for so long and really uh, just get a feel for more of that coastline and and what it has to offer in terms of just waves and people and culture has been really, really cool. I, I love it down there. It's a shame we won't be going this year, but next year I'm excited to get back to, to compete. And it just feels like a second home to me at this point. Yeah, pretty cool. And not only that, your husband is from Australia, which is fun in itself, but also at, you know, traditionally one of the stops on tour. So all of a sudden you basically could have a couple of home breaks, you know, especially being close to lowers these days. And and then you have your other spot at Bells where that's actually really perfect for your career as well. Yeah, for sure. I also feel like Bells in terms of just what I needed to work on in my surfing a lot, um, especially a few years ago, it's a lot more, you know, like it's a lot more just power and wind and raw and rugged. I always say it's kind of like an in-between of West Oz and the East Coast of Australia. It's this perfect amount of like more power, more waves, more swell, um, kind of like a Hawaii vibe in terms of the waves you can get there. And so I think for my surfing, especially, it's just been a really good place for me to be throughout the year and practice and um, yeah, just improve, improve on things that, you know, in California, you don't get those type of waves. So it's been really nice to kind of have it as like a training ground place as well. It's definitely a, a close place to my heart. I really appreciate just the whole area down there. It's interesting with this travel lifestyle that's so amazing and, you know, meeting someone you're really into and then you're like, okay, um, I'm getting on a plane soon. Maybe I'll see you somewhere around the world or <laughs> hopefully we'll keep in touch. And yeah. I thought it was so cool when uh, Thomas, we all got to meet him in Maui that year I think he had just hurt himself and he was on crutches and, and we were playing golf and the guy just had such a positive spirit and outlook, which is still consistent today where you really get to know the guy. 
And there was a moment where he like hobbled up to the putting green, hit this like winning putt to like save the day <laughs> from like 20 plus feet out. And uh, I looked at your face and I think for a moment for me, I was like, right there, your face was like, yep, he's a keeper. You know, <laughs> right there. That's the <laughs> he made the putt, he's a keeper. I, that's so good you remember that. That was like the first, that was right when we saw each other for the first time in like seven months. And um, yeah, we got to play golf. Were we, were we on your team maybe? Were we doing teams? I know Ronnie was there and a few others, but that was like yeah. a heroic 20, 30 foot putt. <laughs> oh, that was insane. And just the athleticism, obviously he has, but learning that he couldn't do all the things he was hoping to do being injured, but he was so positive moving forward. Uh, you Realizing that he is, he, is he an osteopath? Is that what you call it, it by trade? Yeah, so yeah, he he's an osteopath, which we don't have um, in America. There's not many of them, or they're kind of looked at differently. Whereas in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, they're very popular. But the way I kind of describe it to people who don't know what that is, it's, it's like a it's like if you took a physical therapist and a chiropractor and just put it into one person. Um, so he's great. They're very holistic in like their style of treating um, and the schooling over here. It's pretty intense like when we met he was still uh just his third year into university and and so I kind of went through the whole journey of his schooling and the testing and just medical is so intense and obviously nothing in my world but it's fun to kind of watch Tom he's the way he thinks I think being an athlete and growing up as a surfer and a runner really helps him with just his work and how he treats athletes and looks at the body is um I don't know. It's just his awareness and, and how much he knows about body mechanics is pretty amazing. So also for me, just as a surfer and as a professional athlete, it's really cool because I feel like he can, uh, he's really helped me obviously with my, my injuries and my back and just stuff I've had to deal with uh, through my career. But he also can just explain like, hey, if you, whatever, if for surfing, you want to be more explosive as an athlete and these are the right muscles and the right change to work and blah 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 so it's really fun like we we're definitely two peas in a pod he he's a jack of all trades that's for sure but um yeah it's it's nice to have an osteopath who can travel with you and work on you on the road i'm just match made in heaven yeah with uh obviously with australia california's a balance uh him being so uh focused on health and entire performance that can benefit you as well is there a time when you kind of just go okay let's like let's not talk about work right now <laughs> is there like a, like just kind of, or does that just sort of kind of flow naturally because it's b- what you guys are both really interested in um yeah i would say it flows pretty natural because i i feel like work tom loves to surf first of all so like i don't ever think of surfing as work and in, 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 until it's like contest day that maybe feels a bit more like really regimented work or contest week maybe i should say um but I feel like for us, it's just natural to uh, whatever throughout events or as we get to travel together around the world, um, do things that are outside of like just focusing on the contest, which for me has been amazing for my headspace and I think how I compete and and um, and just yeah, just just how how I compete and how I surf and how I perform. I guess I should say. Um, so we just have a really like I think we just have so much fun together because we love. We love to surf together. We love to hike together. We love to meet new people and experience culture. And 
And so I think the balance is just like a natural flow, like you said, where we, he knows me and he knows when I'm kind of going into my zone of about to compete and nervous. And like, he can read that so well at this point that I feel like it's a natural flow of, of he knows when to talk about stuff or be serious or talk about work and then maybe take his foot off the gas and just go do something silly or have a picnic or whatever it is. So I, I feel like it's been such a an amazing, the last few years, especially where he's gotten to travel full time with me has just been the most fun I've ever had. It's been so awesome. It's interesting in this space of being caught inside, now at day 11, uh, just catching up with people on how they're maintaining uh, Stoke, first of all, but also balancing training <laughs> and being in tune with your body as well. And we've been getting a lot of gifts, a lot of knocks on the door. And one of them, uh, this aura ring, which has been really interesting yes. for me, just going, oh, there we go, nice. Of going, uh, you wake up in the morning, you go, how long did I sleep and how efficient was it? It's been blowing my mind uh, how, how I need to really improve. H how's your sleeping been going? Have you been checking up on that every day? Oh my God, we we actually love these things. So we got, we had the aura ring, we've had it for a little while um, before this trip actually. We got one before Christmas and that. So I love it. I mean, I'm so competitive. Even with Tom, we like see who gets better scores every single night <laughs> um, and turn it into a competition. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I've, have you been sleeping worse or better in quarantine? Or you I guess what? you I wouldn't think know I forgot how to sleep. How you feel. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know what? I had two breakthrough nights where I slept eight hours, and then it's been a lot of five-hour, four-hour uh, sleeps. Yeah. But overall, okay. I think my readiness is uh, feeling pretty good today. I do feel great, but I think yeah. I'm learning how to actually put more time into the process of sleep because of this, because I want to I wanna get a better score in the morning. Totally. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like, I've found I can play around with stuff that I eat before bed will affect especially my heart rate and my sleep for sure. Like, if I have alcohol, I'll sleep way worse. My heart rate will be way higher. If I have a lot of sugar, obviously, um, that'll make it worse. But that's kind of been interesting. And then one thing I've learned, too, is when we make the room colder, like if you put the AC on or if we're in a colder climate in general, I sleep way better when it's a lot colder. So I found that interest. That's like a consistent one that I'm like, oh, whoa, okay. Colder it's, climate, I sleep better. It's pretty cool. Like just the act of sleeping, you know, we all can take for granted, lie down and go yeah. from there, but it actually makes you more present and like, what can I do to create this environment better to recover and sleep, especially when you're an athlete on tour, how important that is. What else can this aura ring do? Like, have you, what other aspects should I really dive into? <laughs> <laughs> the body temperature, so it tracks your body temperature, which I think is a big reason, um, you know, the WSL is having all of us athletes use it and, and the staff as well, just because I think with COVID, it's pretty cool. You can see, you know, if you start to spike at all, um, even just a little bit, you know, it, it'll like remind you, oh, you know, maybe take it easy today. Your body temperature's up or your, your, your resting heart rate is up or whatever it is. And so... The body temperature one's been really cool just for months now to be able to track if, you know, we are getting sick or, oh, should we take a COVID test or, or whatever. So I think that's a really cool um, little feature on it as well. It feels really accurate with it. So, yeah, I don't know. There's all sorts of 
fun stuff you can track. <laughs> oh, I love it, Lakey. Uh, I was just thinking about uh, so many things that have been awesome in your life and in your career and coming from a special place like Santa Barbara. There's so many great things about that place, but also being so close to Channel Island surfboards and the factory. I think maybe one of the cleanest surfboard factories I've ever stepped inside. You could like eat off the floor. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so dialed and a lot of really good people there. Do you remember when you got signed by them? And how old were you when you when you jumped on the CI team? Yeah, great question. So obviously with Channel Islands being, you know, born and built and made in Santa Barbara and me being born and built and made in Santa Barbara. Um, I've just always been on their equipment and on their surfboards and it's just been a natural, um, just community and fit for me for my whole career. And so I don't even know the exact age. I, I mean, I always just rode their boards because Kelly Slater rode their boards and every local guy rode their boards and and girl and was ripping on them. Um, when I was young and then I, I want to say when I was like 12, you know, I got on the flow team <laughs> where you can get like a couple boards for some discounted price. And I was so happy with that and like some stomp pads and, and leashes. And I was just thought I was killing it. And then from there, then, you know, I qualified when I was 16 and it kind of was just like that wasn't, you know, I was 12 on the flow team, got some boards, got some boards and then did the QS and was really fully integrated into the program you know, around that 14, 15 years old um, mark. And then, yeah, now I've been on tour for 10 years working with them. And and specifically, you know, Brit kind of came back into the picture and the shaping um, shaping room, I want to say five years ago or so now. And I started working with him about three and a half years ago. And that, that's been like a whole new journey in itself, getting to really work closely with Brit and, and dial in my boards way more than I ever um, did before, really. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's awesome to work with. He's so receptive to feedback, and he wants to make the best surfboard possible for me, and he's not afraid if I tell him something that he, you know, he might not want to hear or it's not working or whatever. He's he's just a really nice person to work with in terms of uh, just no ego and, and wanting to make the best equipment out there. So... Yeah, it's been really fun to work with those guys, and I feel so lucky to be just a part of the whole journey with them. Britt Merrick had such an impression on me when I met him. It was and heard him speak. I think yeah. before I even knew him, and just listening to him talk and about his life and how open he was about everything he's been through and his journey of being a human being and. He had that powerful kind of impact on me where I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is incredible. Like what a heart and what a human. He's like full hero of mine, you know, outside of the water, just as the person that he is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's, he's, he's awesome. Him and his wife, Kate, like they're just, they've been amazing to, to me and Tom and they're just great people. And, um, you know, as you said, just been through a lot and seen a lot and done a lot. And I just, yeah, I feel the same way. I have so much respect just for Brit and, and what he's doing in shaping as well. And just like his, his work ethic and and dedication to it and wanting and willingness to be the best in the world at it is, is really cool. And I think being an athlete and being a surfer, like when someone else in your camp is putting in that much effort for you, it makes me want to put in that much more effort as well. Cause it's like, okay, Brit, 
is shaping this many pores for me and breaking his back and working and believes in me. Um, you know, it's the same way I feel about Mike. It's like he's willing to show up to the beach every single day at 6 a.m. Like, I'm sure as hell going to get out of bed and make sure I'm there. And, and it makes me want to work even harder. Um, and so Britt's one of those people that really supports me so much and, and puts so much effort into my career that it, it makes me want to do well, you know, for him and, and for Channel Islands. And um, I think it's really important to have people like that in your corner and, and in your life. That's been cool. Lakey, it's so interesting with the Channel Islands program. There's always this like mystic uh, thing you hear about, like, have you had a board hand-shaped by Al, by Al Merrick himself? You know, how hard (laughs) that is to do, because there's incredible shapers in the stable, obviously. But then there is this, you know, the godfather, the owner, the founder of the whole thing that began this brand (laughs) in 69. It's like, how hard is it to get a board shaped by Al himself? And have you had quite a few in your career? You know what? Um, that is such a good question. And I actually have not had a board from Al. And it is one thing I would I would just love to have. I don't even know if I would write it. I would just want it on the wall <laughs> <laughs> because it's Al. Um, but I don't, I mean, he doesn't, he, he obviously is retired now and he, he doesn't shape as much. I think he shapes a little bit now and again. But uh, I might have to put a word in Brit's ear and just be like, hey, you know, can I get one? <laughs> but uh, I haven't had a board from him. Obviously, going into the factory all the time, I see all the board he shaped, all the boards he shaped for Kelly and Tom Curran and, you know, went back in his in his day. And I, I check out the boards he, he made and kind of feel them and see them. And, you know, they're all, they're all around the factory. And so I've I feel like I've seen so many of his boards and I, I know what they're like, and but I've never ridden one and I've, I've never had one. So it'd be really cool to get my hands on one one day. Oh, it's the next step. I think there's a time with Channel Islands in Santa Barbara, even globally, it just, it just felt like the dream to have one. It's like if your first CI surfboard was reminded you of the first time you heard the Beatles, you know, it was like so significant. Uh, I remember an MX (laughs) I had, my sister ordered for me. (laughs) She was working for ZJ Boarding House. It took like six months and then I finally got it. And it was still to this day, one of the most memorable surfboards I've ever had because it was worth the wait. It was uh, so amazing. And like the history you mentioned with so many world titles won on the boards from Tom Curran, from Kelly, from Sofia Milanovic, you know, Adriana de Souza, and then maybe someone close to your backyard, uh, Kim Merrick, uh, won on those boards, uh, representing Rincon in California in a world title in 83. Do you see Kim often? Have you ever heard from her? Yeah. Uh, is she still out in the water? Do you know? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought her up. I was going to mention her her name as well because I grew up surfing Rincon, obviously, and and growing up as a young girl, I would always see Kim out there. And my mom would like be like, "Oh, that's Kim Merrick, you know, like world champ, like you know." And I I was I was so young at the time, I would be like, "Oh, sick!" Like I knew, but I wasn't fully onto her or anything. I didn't I didn't actually know like how legit she was and how amazing she was for our sport and, and Santa Barbara and Channel Islands. And, um, and so anyways, and her daughter is always out there and, and her son as well. They're always surfing ring con. So I see them a lot now, but I haven't seen her much in recent years, um, out there. I used to see her all the time, but I, I would love to, I'd love to surf with her. Um, if I get a chance next season at ring con or something, but I do, I do get to see your daughter, Caitlin all the time. Um, and yeah, I think Kim's still ripping. She's 
she's awesome. She's obviously just such a local legend and hero and um, hero of mine. And I think hero of any, any woman in surfing, really, she's, she's definitely a fun one to watch, especially at Rincon. She surfs it so beautifully. So it was nice to have her as a young girl, as someone to really look up to and, and see who, who's, who's risen to the top of the sport, you know? Isn't it interesting how beautiful Santa Barbara is, uh, the queen of the coast named Rincon and how amazing that wave is. And I think uh, people globally kind of go, oh, cool, surf trip for sure. But then they might have found how easy it is to get skunked in Santa Barbara and how tough it is actually in that part of California to surf every day and the kind of time you have to spend in your car to actually surf is something that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, they're not. And I like, even Tom, so obviously where he comes from, Bells is like consistent waves all year round. You don't need to go far. There's always swell. And I remember when, when we first started dating and the first few times he came to Santa Barbara, he was like, what? Like, really? Like, what do you mean? Like, this is your big swell? You know, like there would be a big swell and he'd be like, oh, whoa, okay. It's like three foot. It's not, you know, it's not not what I was expecting. It's like a big swell. And, And I think, Santa Barbara is just uniquely um, placed on the California coast where we have the Channel Islands that block a ton of our swell, and then we don't really get much south swell at all. So it's really pretty much like Rincon, all the points are, are all wintertime spots. We need a northwest uh, solid ground swell. And, and even then, you need a lot, of, a lot of ground swell to get in there and kind of get around the corner and, and wrap into to all those points like Rincon. And so, yeah, there is a lot of time spent in the car driving south, driving to Ventura, driving to Malibu. And then I have a little uh, space, little condo in San Clemente for the summertime, just because living in Santa Barbara in the summer is is pretty brutal if you're a professional surfer and you need to surf every day. Uh, So that's fine because it's been really fun because I I get to be down at lowers and surf with Caroline and Mike every day. And um, I feel like I don't really miss a beat there. But growing up, I mean, kudos to my mom. She drove me like, (laughs) I didn't realize, you don't realize when you're like 12, but now I'm like, holy cow, mom, how did you not break your back? You drove like four hours a day to get me to go surfing um, in Santa Barbara. So yeah, it's it's a unique place to get swell and to get good waves, but when it all clicks, it's so awesome. There's so many fun waves when there's when there's waves. It's like it's amazing. And that balance of understanding that yeah, you love home, Santa Barbara, but you kind of need to be in San Clemente. You, you I think you realize that gosh, a while ago now. So that's a, that's yeah. a routine, right? Like you're you're basically majority yeah. of your time would you say you're in San Clemente and then you check in with home up north when you can? Yeah, I would say, especially with, like, our tour schedule, um, obviously that's kind of changing this year, but but a lot of, you know, in, re- in past years, our tour, we've had a quite a big break in the summertime months for California, and so a lot of my time I've had at home is during the months of summer where I want to be in San Clemente, and then I'll get that, like, month off in December over Christmas or, or January where we'll go home, we'll go back you know, to Santa Barbara and, and enjoy the winter couple months there before we hit the road again. But yeah, I would say we do spend probably overall more time in San Clemente. It's generally most of the year. And then we're just home for Christmas and New Year's. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a great balance though. I mean, we kind of have the best of both worlds because when there's waves up north, we go up north. And when there's waves down south, then we're down south. So 
um, I feel like I've figured out a good little program. And then when there's waves in Australia, we go to Australia. Uh, that's <laughs> so a great we life. just chase it around. Great life. And it's cool because you, <laughs> yeah. you got to be a bit of a road warrior when you're in California. If you want to really surf good waves on a consistent basis. And we all got to thank your mom, Sue, for, for getting you down to those big events early because you got to have really cool run-ins with Sage Erickson, Courtney Conlog, who we're well familiar with on the top 17, this California resurgence of not just one surfer on the top 17, but you've got a crew now. And for them, you know, Courtney and, and Sage, they were kind of, I feel like born in the Jersey. They were at it very, very early. And I'm always so impressed with your story of actually starting relatively late for pro surfer terms. And having this yes. instant connection with competing and winning and really catching up quickly to, to the Courtney's and the Sages out there. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I feel like, you know, my family growing up, we grew up obviously near the beach and on the beach, but no one in my family was like a core surfer, really. My mom surfs now and loved it, but it's not like I came from a background of someone who knew how to get me into the surf industry or or to push me in that direction. And so, and so, yeah, that did make me kind of start later around 12, 11, 12 years old of really getting into it, really doing junior events and SSAs and, um, and focusing on it where like Courtney, like you said, or Sage were kind of born in the Jersey Sage, maybe it was a little later too, but um, yeah, it kind of was this really quick, I think for my career, like just transition. Cause I started at 11 and then I won the nationals. Uh, Joe, you were commentating, I think, when I was fourteen. Yeah, you were. <laughs> That's okay. right. Um, and, and then, um, and then after that, it was like Nike was coming into surf, and and they signed me. And then we did that all women surf film, leave a message. And then I was all of a sudden on the QS, and I still remember. It was so funny. I had no idea. This is how oblivious I was, and my parents were to like the QS and how it all worked, but. At the time, this guy, Curtis Graham, who worked for Nike, he called us. We were in the Azores for QS, and he's like, hey, like, I think Lakey's going to qualify. And we didn't even know really what that meant. Like, my parents were like, oh, like, for, like, the world tour? Or is there, like, another level after this? Or, And um, and so it just was like, boom, 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 boom. And then I was on tour, and, and that's when I was like, okay, we should probably hire Mike or someone who knows what they're doing <laughs> in this industry so they can guide me and and help me here but uh yeah i mean i'm really thankful for just the support of my my parents and my family uh just kind of diving into an industry that we we really knew nothing about it's impressive and i mean documented in your movie zero to a hundred because it really was this crazy fast track i think for you all to realize wait a second we've got this career that's just running at you you know it wasn't something it felt like you had to chase you just had this ability very early applied yourself and you kind of had this underdog role in that short period of time where you were winning nationals. Maybe at the time it was like all of these other women or girls you were competing against had all these other accolades. And then you did the, the big air that was heard around the world that you landed in the finals. And then you backed up another national title. Then you won USA champs with another air. And all of a sudden QS success and you're on tour and you're still, you know, quote unquote a Grom at this time. <laughs> Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I feel like a grom still. I'm I'm 26 and married. I'm like, oh my gosh, where the heck did life go? But I still feel lucky that I I am 26 and I have 10 years of tour experience under my belt and I'm young in my career relatively. Um, I feel really 
like thankful because I'm like, okay, I still have a lot more years to compete. I feel like and and be at my do my best surfing, and I've I've had so much experience already that. Um, you know, I'm really excited for the next few years because I feel like I'm just kind of coming into uh, my peak and, and what I can do. And, um, you know, I've, I've got finally the experience to kind of back it up. I felt like when I first got on tour, I had a lot of time to make up and experience to make up just because I didn't grow up going to Hawaii. I didn't grow up learning to surf these different types of waves and bigger waves and powerful waves. And so I sort of once I got on the tour, it was like that was the learning curve. And I was on tour trying to win stuff, um, win events, win world titles. And so I sort of feel like recently, in recent years, I've come to finally like, okay, I know how to do all that now. I know how to work with that. I know how to surf those waves. I mean, I'm still learning and I have so much to learn. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable now, we'll say. But it took me a while. <laughs> Well, it's it's impressive because I think sometimes as a kid, if you in a sport you played, you got the most improved award. Sometimes you'd take it and be like, "Well, what, what, what was I bad before?" You know. But you're like, it's a, probably one of the biggest compliments <laughs> yeah. when you're on the top of the sport in this tight group of women surfers, top seventeen, and every year you learn a way to bring something better. And I think you accomplish that. It's obvious when you look at rankings and results and finding a way to grow into the title contender that you are today but each time looking at an off season and looking for improvement looking at certain aspects of your surfing and actually bringing something new and i think you honestly can say that you've accomplished that every season on tour thank you i appreciate you saying that that certainly is the goal um and that's certainly i think where my headspace is at especially now uh I'm like, okay, I, I want, there's just areas that obviously with anyone, you can never be good enough. There's always something to learn. Kelly Slater has something to learn still, you know? So I think having that perspective always of like, there's more to learn, there's more to get better at. And just personally and having personal goals of like what I'm exactly trying to improve on and work on is a, has I've found been a better way for me to kind of look at it and progress my surfing and ultimately get better results in competition, um, instead of being so just results-based and everything based off of every single event, everything riding on every single result, I'm a little bit more like, if I just improve my surfing, those results will come. And so I'm going to just turn my focus to X, Y, and Z of my surfing, exactly what whatever that is. Um, and that seemed to really work. I mean, obviously, since 2018, my results have improved substantially and so um yeah it's it's really fun like i i love i love learning and i love trying to be my best and i love i love the challenge of it so um yeah it's good it's great you before just a moment ago you mentioned like you know you haven't hit your peak yet and i think all athletes probably can feel this especially in uh hindsight of their career when they look back in retrospect they can go, oh, this was my prime and kind of define that area where they maybe hit their peak physical strength or peak physical or their performance level was at the all time high. And for you, you know, to say like you haven't hit it yet is such a, probably an amazing realization as an athlete who has been on tour for a while now going, wait, no, I've got more to show. I've got more to give. I can be stronger. I'm still growing into your peak athletic form. What does that feel like over the years of 
maybe is it learning how to be more efficient with your training, being wiser with how much you train and, and feeling that response in your performance on a wave? And what's that journey been like to, to grow to maybe one day realize your peak, you know, you know several years from now on tour? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think it just comes with like time and maturity and um, experiences and learning. Um, sorry for the noise. There's construction, but I I feel like I feel like for me, I've just I've always been willing to work hard and and show up and put the work. Out. That's never been a problem for me. Like if there is something I need to do, I will do it. I'll do. I'll do what it takes. I don't have that lack of motivation that maybe that, that, that's what some people struggle with. Um, I think for me, I'm so in the past hard on myself. So if I can't get it like right away, I'm the personality of like, oh, I don't even want to try it. I can't do it. Like I should be able to do it. I don't even want to, I don't want to try it because it makes me so mad internally that I can't do something or I can't figure out this turn or whatever it is that I'm trying to work on. And so I think I've just learned to answer your question, how to quiet that voice and realize like, it's okay if you don't, you know, it's okay if you're still scared surfing these ways, or it's okay if you still can't do that turn or you feel like a kook or you look like a kook or like you have to learn and you have to be willing to just go back again and again and again and again and again, and be really just like ruthless and relentless with your approach. And, um, I think that took me a long time to kind of figure out or realize that's the way I need to approach it. I, I, for just a long time, I just, yeah, if one thing didn't go right in my mind, I was like, no, I don't even, I don't even want to try. It makes me too mad. So yeah, I think I'm a lot more just open-minded with, with my approach to learning and trying and, um, you know, I'm not quite as hard on myself. I still am very hard on myself, but I think, I'm much more open-minded to it now. And, and that's been, it's been fun. I, I, I love now if I just keep at it and keep working and I finally do get it or I finally do learn, um, you know, it's like the best feeling in the world to, to achieve a, a, you know, small goal, one small goal at a time. So that, that is huge for growth as an athlete or even in life, you know, a mistake or an area you need to improve on, not running from it, running towards it and going, okay, I'm going to keep looking at this. To, to, to become better. I, I think about your career, Lakey, and there's so many things that come up. I think the beginning is obviously progression. That was just tagged to your name, probably due to those big airs that you were doing at a young age and landing them for big scores. And I remember in those early interviews when you're, uh, you know, wild card, you made a final at the U.S. Open, qualified for the tour, won the U.S. Open over Carissa Moore, and it was all about progression. And I remember at the time, I felt like you were like, I'm ready to lead this movement. I want to push this as far as doing more airs and heats and in competition. Uh, looking to where you are today, are you still just as focused on leading that charge as far as above the lip surfing and that really high performance progressive act on the top 17? Yeah, that's a, I'm stoked you asked that because I feel the same. I feel like my junior career um, and my QS, when I was on the QS, I was, I was really known for that niche of progression and airs and, um, being that girl, you know, trying that stuff. And then I feel like the tour is all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's about really making heats and winning heats. And I had to kind of, that was, 
I would say that was never my strong point. Like how to surf a heat and just like ocean awareness was the hardest thing for me. I more had this natural ability to surf and do airs and I could surf good, but then putting it together and in a heat and, and strategy was really, it still is hard for me um, and something I need to constantly work on. And so I feel like my shift went from this progression side of things a little bit more to like, how do I win heats? And how do I take the surfing that I have to turn it into scores and, and you know, figure that part of the puzzle out? And so I think that took up a lot of my career. And I feel like I've really figured that out a lot more, still working on it, but way better than I was. And so now I feel like I can kind of um, do want to go back to that progression and, and just my surfing and, and um, the air game. I think seeing all these young girls doing huge airs kind of fires me up. Because I'm like, okay, I'm still not too old to like learn that stuff. I still have, you know, time left and I want to look, I just don't want to look back on my career and be like, oh, I should have, would have, could have, I should have put more time into that. Um, But I just feel like I had so many other things I needed to really improve on for solid contest surfing first. And then, um, you know, now I feel like I can really pour more time into that. But In saying that, too, it's not like it ever left my mind or I wasn't focused on it. I think I've always, I think it's been evident that I've always um, tried to be progressive and focus on airs and and have a bit more flair. And and that's always been a focus for sure. It's not like it ever went away, but there's just sort of this balancing act of like contest surfing and what needs to be done there. And and then having time outside of that to practice airs and and progressive surfing. It's such a a familiar path for surfers like yourself that go on tour and they're ready to you know show the world hey i got this big air i can do i remember john john florence when he qualified in the early days when he wasn't winning a lot of events or even heats he'd have like one round where he had like a 19 plus total because he just did a backflip or something and then the next heat he was just like (laughs) he'd lose because he was still going for the biggest maneuver of the event and he had to kind of learn how to play the game and win those heats and realizing he wanted titles and to find the whole balancing act and it's it's cool to have that growth and and a lot of surfers like yourself that get on tour and you're like i have this i want to show the world but wait a second i do want to play the game i do want titles and have that growth of overall performance really come to play yeah totally it's just it's just a balancing act and i think um you know ultimately the best thing is that could happen would be getting two nines by doing an air and, and surfing a good heat and having all of it. That's the goal, obviously. Um, but as also, so can like, I think, you know, it's a lot of that comes down to conditions and, and trusting yourself and that maneuver, whatever maneuver I want to do. It's like, okay, I need to know that I'm going to land this right now or be able to pull this off right now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just a balancing act. It's a funny one, but it's, it's certainly fun. I mean, it's it's awesome to to be progressive and um, yeah, continually try and better myself in that area. You know, what's interesting, Lakey, is the fav- my favorite maneuver that you do now is your frontside wrap. Oh my gosh, that thing just got so yeah. powerful. It was so dynamic, <laughs> and you were just using it. Oh, wait, I think the nurse is calling real quick. Okay, good timing, Lakey. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Cod Inside right after this. And we're back. Lakey Peterson. Uh, the nurse calls all the time, right? They, they check in on us every day, and they want to see how we're feeling. And it's not just like a 
physical symptoms. Uh, it, they also want to know how your mental health is. It's, it's a nice catch up every day. Yeah. Sorry about that. They do. They call every morning around nine thirty or 10 <laughs> and it is nice. It's like, Oh, someone cares, but yeah, they're good. They're good about doing the checkup. No symptoms. Mental health is good. We're still kicking. Yeah, and what we were getting to before the break was dissecting parts of your surfing. Specifically, my opinion, your frontside carve is, is so dangerous. And I saw huge improvements with power, control, everything, speed. It's an incredibly dynamic maneuver that's giving you a lot of excellent scores. Break that down for us on how you looked at that specific maneuver and how you began the process of making it so incredible. Thank you. Um, I do feel like that's my strength at this point as well. I think that's become evident that that's, you know, on right hand point breaks uh, where I where I get a lot of my points. Um, but I don't I, I don't know, because I do feel like when I came into the 2018 season, all of a sudden I was like 20 percent better at surfing and, and and at that maneuver specifically, just talking about that. And I I don't know what to attribute that to because I've always surfed right points. I've always had a, like a strong style probably, but um, that year we, we went to Bells like two and a half months before Snapper was supposed to start. And I just surfed so like, I was able to surf like two or three times a day, every single day, so consistently and so easily. And, um, and I feel like being at Bells and being at Winky and just having that repetition like over and over and over for two and a half months really, um, I don't know. I think it just really ironed out a lot of things in my surfing. And I think it really ironed out that turn specifically, like that forehand wrap and carve. And, um, yeah, I, I think, I think on the woman's side of things too, I've really focused on, um, just in my training in the gym, like having, being very explosive and having a lot of power. And, um, and I think as a woman, that's something you have to work at a little bit more than, than what a male would have to work at it at. And so it's something I really focused on, uh, with just my, my training on land. And I think that really contributed into the water with that move in particular, because it's very, it's really explosive kind of, um, intense maneuver in some ways. And so, I don't know. I don't know if it was just a bit of a bit of both surfing Winky Pop every day and and training <laughs> hard. It's just a maneuver too. When you're watching someone surf and it looks, it pops out as something like I'm imagining how good that would feel for you to execute a clean rail hook like that. It's so rewarding and probably the most rewarding time when you applied it is one frontside carve in particular that you got you in the nine plus, almost a perfect 10 at the main break of Margaret River to compete against a rival at the time of the greatest on tour, Stephanie Gilmore, in unbelievable conditions. Uh, that was such an impactful moment uh, for, for you to actually get a win off Steph. That was obviously the first point. Showcase your power game. And then also to be doing it at Margaret River, which had given you trouble in the early years of your career. It just felt like such a huge, powerful moment beyond the turn itself of this turning point for Lakey Peterson. Yeah, it was for sure. I think I had never, I don't know if that point I had never beat Steph. Um, so there was that that was just 
bugging me so bad. <laughs> and then obviously, like being at Margaret's and it, it was a wave that's been hard for me, the bump and the wind and the size and just the weirdness of it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess just that maneuver and everything, like you said, just coming together perfectly. Uh, and that wave, the first wave in my heat was the best wave I had in that heat. And and that's probably, I think, the, the term you're thinking of, or that the, the specific wave you're thinking of. Um, but it was just, I remember just starting a heat like that for your confidence is the best thing ever. Um, because you, if you get like a nine off the bat and you felt good about it, it's like, for me at least, and I, I would I would assume for everyone, that is really when someone can get on a roll and kind of, and run with it. And I felt like for that event, that's, even though it was later, it was the quarterfinals, it was later into the event, it was like, oh, okay. I can do this. I can get big scores out here. Like I can do that turn out here. I can, I can apply it. And it just took that one little moment um, for it all to kind of come together and mentally for me to realize how to surf that wave and, and that I can, can do that and, and get those scores. And so, yeah, that was, that was a great heat for me, for my, for my career in general. It was definitely one I won't forget for a while. Lakey, just continuing with that era in time, it was uh, probably surreal at moments and also rewarding at moments where we had the season where we couldn't say your name without Steph's and vice versa, where it was just the focus of the entire year, getting to finals together, having the title race showdown together, even uh, up into Europe where then there was pressure on both you and Steph and feeling that for the first time. Uh, how do you look back at that season where you got to be compared with someone with seven world titles and fight for a world title with her in your career. Yeah. I mean, it's an honor to even be in that conversation with, with her, with Steph. And, um, I remember coming into Europe, you know, if she had a really solid lead and then she lost a heat and I had such an opportunity to, to gain a lot of valuable points before heading to Hawaii. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is my chance. Like, and I was a few heats after her and I, I didn't, I lost the heat. And I, it's so funny looking back on it now. I'm like, oh, I was so nervous and so freaked out. And so like, oh my God, I could win a world title. Like, like this is all happening. There's, there's opportunity. There's a chance. And, um, I just really let like so much outside noise just get the best of me and kind of determine my fate in a way. And, um, it's so cool though, because because of that year and and um, being in a world title race with Steph, who's obviously done it one seven times now, and and to see how she approached it against me and and just learn from all of those moments um, is amazing, and I feel like it's made me a better surfer and competitor because of because of it all. And um, yeah, I just obviously have the utmost respect for her, and and it was just such a it was such a fun year. It was such a fun title race, and and challenge and um even though you know i didn't win i'll still look back on it forever and be so proud of that season for myself and and just to like you said be in it with someone like steph gilmore in our sport is it's pretty awesome really cool lakey and you kind of touched on that experience of feeling those emotions being in that arena for the first time where the thoughts of a world title that is in your grasp could be there going through all the emotions there and it just brought me to uh this new episode with getting heated, Salema Masakela is on there with Mick Fanning, and they're discussing this topic of, of the importance of a coach, you know, being there. And if, mm. is it going to be important? Because a lot of coaches won't be here during this Australian leg. It's a great topic. 
But it brings me back to that title moment for you. You're there for the first time. All of a sudden, Mike Parsons wears a lot of hats. Jaws is called on. <laughs> yeah. And then it's sort of like part of your 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 like your biggest weapon in your your corner, your biggest supporter is now off trying to, you know, con- connect with you, but also run a big wave event at, at the same time. Uh, do you reflect on that yeah. moment as being pretty challenging or how, how was... How did that all affect maybe ultimately your performance that day? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, having your coach have to leave like the day you're going to go for a world title is, is um, it's a mind trip for sure. And I was like, even though at that point, you know, Steph was way ahead of me in the rankings. It was, I totally could win and I was in it to win it. But I was like, okay, this is an outside shot for sure. Um, she had so much, so much lead on me, especially coming into a wave like Honolulu Bay for her. Um, so there was that of like already a little bit of, I don't want to say doubt, but you know, like, okay, this is, everything has to really go right for me to win this right now. Like everything. And then, and then Mike has to leave and my coach isn't going to be there. Uh, that's just was a total, it was just another component of like, okay, turn shift, roll with it you know don't let it get the best you be positive maintain like confidence um and so yeah it was it was that final day you know when I lost and and he wasn't there Tom was with me which was amazing um but yeah I think it was it was just hard it was like not ideal and I think for a little while I was mad not at him but just like the situation it's easy to blame the situation and, and what happened. And, um, you know, I was kind of probably victimizing myself a little bit, but now looking back on that year, it's so minor. It's, it's not even funny. It's like ultimately with surfing, it's me out there and it's my decision and I'm old enough and I've surfed enough heats to, to know what I need to do and, and how to do it. And, um, I think it made me realize like, Hey, you need to just be, before Mike or anyone else tells you what to do, you need to know what to do when you're paddling out for the heat. Like that comes down to you and you're the surfer and you take ownership of that and you make the decision because you're the one doing it. No matter if it's Mike Parsons, who's the guru of all gurus telling you what to do, like I need to make those decisions first for myself. And he's just there to kind of back that up. And so I think it really taught me that like, okay. And then since then I've really taken it upon myself to watch the conditions way more by myself even when he's at events, you know, like I'll go down without him or I'll go down way before him, before he, uh, before he even comes down and just watch it. And it's turned into more of him telling me what to do of, and now it's more like we just talk about it and I'll be like, Hey, okay, this is what I see. This is what I think they're scoring. This is the ways I think are best for me. And it's more like of this dialogue back and forth rather than just direct info from him. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing to, to feel it as an individual, to understand it. And then, yeah, you've got this wealth of knowledge and this backing that can obviously give you confidence just by being by your side, that presence of knowing that someone believes in you, you know, you've done the work with and you show up to the battlefield. And even though they're not in the water, they've done everything with you for so long. And then when they disappear, it's like learning how to be like, no, I can still do this on my own. I think Salema brought that up in the getting heated show where you know, he's excited for this time where the surfers get to have this opportunity to do it on their own, you know, and 
And I think Coco, you know, obviously knows how important her support crew is for her. And she brought up the point of that moment where Snips had to go do the work on the Big Wave Tour and what that might feel like. So now as we get up to where we are today with four events coming up, rapid fire in Australia, Mike Parsons is not here, correct? And, and so uh, how are you feeling about that? And what will that be like to, to, to enter this, these four events on your own? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mike is not here. He, he's home. He stayed home with his family and I don't blame him. Um, but I think I'm excited. First of all, I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be back into the Jersey soon and to have four events on the horizon and a little bit of what feels like certainty, um, is just awesome. And so I feel great. I'm, I'm not really worried that that Mike isn't here with me. I will be talking to him over the phone a fair amount and um, I'm going to send him footage before the event. And, and so I'll be talking to him back in California. But, um, you know, I think since that day on Maui, I've also done a few more events without Mike and just, just me and Tom or just me, Brazil. Um, when I got second to staff, I was by myself, J-Bay. I was by my, or just with Tom the last, uh, last year. And so, I feel like there's been more events now where I've just been solo or just with Tom and I've done really well. And so I have a lot more confidence just in myself and my ability and kind of my program, even when Mike isn't, you know, there, obviously it's ideal to have him with me, but, um, I've finaled and I've done some of my best surfing, you know, without him by my side. So I'm excited. I'm stoked. I, I feel like we did a ton of work before I left. I was working with Snips a ton and running heats and, um, I just know what I need to do. So yeah, I'm super stoked. Let just, let's just go backwards a little bit. Uh, just talk about meeting Mike Parsons and what he means to you. Your relationship looks incredible from like a best friend and uncle almost. And but a manager, a coach, yeah. he, he ticks a lot of boxes for you in your life. Uh, tell us about meeting him and, and what it's been like working with such a legend. Oh, yeah. Mike is like him and his wife, Tara, and his son, Grant, are like my family. I honestly feel like they're, yeah, they're, they're family to me and to Tom. And, um, you know, with Mike, when I first started, the reason I started working with him is because when I was 14, I was surfing lowers a ton and as we spoke about earlier, like my family knew nothing about the industry, nothing about coach, no, nothing. And, um, I knew Dino and because I surfed with brother a ton, it was with brother. I was doing NSSAs with him and he was kind of all the rage at that time. And so Dino, I asked if he could help me out a little bit. And so he was, he was like helping me out at lowers, um, just giving me some pointers. And Mike obviously worked with brother at that time. I had no idea who Mike was. And so then Dino introduced me to Mike and, um, you know, I started working with Mike full time and kind of here we are, whatever we've been working together for like 13 years now. Um, and so that's kind of like organically how it happened with, with working with snips. And, um, it is, we do have just such a awesome relationship. I just feel like I can trust him so much with what he tells me. And I also feel like with working on bigger waves and stuff like that with him, um, I know he would never put me in a situation that he thinks I won't, I can't handle. And so I think that just in terms of outside of competition, like working on other stuff, I just know I've, I've felt so confident, like whatever he is telling me I can do or should do, I, I know I can do it. I know he wouldn't tell me I can't, 
I could do something if I couldn't. And so um, I think that's just been really cool, particularly I'm speaking to bigger waves or more waves of consequence. Um, I think that's just been really cool, though, to have someone I can trust that much in terms of a coach and um, in that way. And uh, obviously, contest-wise, it's awesome. He knows the surf forecast better than anyone else in the entire world. He's he's pretty much still contest director. If you ever see him at an event, it's all anyone asks him. Snips, what's the forecast? What's it looking like? <laughs> I even have all the girls ask me, what's Snips saying? What's Snips saying? And so, um, yeah, he's just, he kind of is jack of all trades in the surf, surfing world, I feel like, with knowing conditions, knowing spots. He's been everywhere there is to be and and then also just coaching and technique, he's um, he's so on it. So, yeah, I feel really lucky to have been able to work with Mike for as long as I have and, and have him in my corner, and I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without um, his guidance or advice, that's, that's for sure. It's amazing. Like, when you paddle out anywhere in the world and all of a sudden you see Mike in the water, you're like, I did it. I'm in the right place. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be surfing today because <laughs> he's always <laughs> yeah, on right. it. Yeah. Caroline and I always joke that, like, whenever Mike's with us, we always get the best waves. Even if it's the worst day of the year, we always are like, how did we get good waves today? It's so bad. It's like one foot and onshore everywhere. You're making day 11 incredible for me. We're seeing the light. We're going to be out in the real world soon, and that is going to be incredible. Wow. I can't wait. It's been fun talking about your career, your perspective, so much you've uh, learned uh, and you're going to apply to another great season on tour. You're currently fifth in the world and we're running into a four pack of events that will have some probably fresh feelings for you and maybe some familiar feelings as well, especially with Margaret River and being a former champ there. And you've had a couple of showings at Newcastle and then back to Parsons. You look at the list there. He's the last guy to win back at the CT format. So I still feel like you're going to be running into Newcastle with a lot of positives. How is your experience at that wave uh, and uh, how you think it's going to end up for the viewers watching online? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, we don't, I think having, I think having Newcastle and having Narabeen as, as beach breaks definitely changes up the year a little bit compared to right points. You know, it kind of replaced Snapper and Bells, which are both right points. And so um, I'm excited. I think beach breaks bring a totally different opportunity. I'm stoked to have maybe a chance to go left a little bit too. If there's a left bank anywhere, I feel like my backhand's always been a strength, but I don't get to showcase it too often. Um, and yes, Snips is the former champ of Newcastle. Don't forget it. So um, I'll be talking to him a lot and getting some pointers from him. But I feel great. Um, um, yeah, I think I'm in a much better headspace than I was at even Honolulu. So uh, I'm excited and I think it's going to be awesome. Also, when you look at a camp that a surfer has or and like a coach's stable a bit, I mean, you guys were able to jump into the crew a young surfer named Caroline Marks which was really exciting with all the talent that she's bringing to the top 17 already winning events and then someone who's in your sparring crew ends up battling with you for titles as well I saw how happy that you were that she was able to make it here uh, after a couple of days of, of testing to get here to compete uh, how has Caroline pushed you um, in the lead up to events and how excited are, are you for her that she's going to be here for all four Australian events? Yeah, Caroline, um, it's funny. I feel like a lot of people think after last year that we 
didn't like each other I didn't like her or something just because it was so intense and close and um that couldn't be further from the truth not to say it wasn't hard in a lot of ways but um she's just a really cool girl we've actually become just really good friends to be honest and um as you mentioned she's had an incredible career so far and she's just getting started and and so I think for me like I'm competitive and I want to beat her and I want to win and she wants to beat me and and she wants to win. And so I think in terms of just my perspective, it's really pushed me a lot. I think it's she's kind of the fire that I needed, um, you know, especially the last few years. I've felt like, OK, she's working with snips and she's really, really good. And I want to I want to be better I want to be I want to battle her like I think she's going to get to the top of our sport and I want to be battling against the person who's at the top of our sport and so um yeah and in terms of just at home being able to to you know run heats together and practice together it's awesome it's like I think for both me and her we talk about all the time it's mutually beneficial to have someone who's that good of a surfer to run heats against and I think Caroline is a very strong contest surfer in particular. I think she's similar to a Tyler who they obviously have incredible ability um, just surfing wise, but they put together heats really, 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 really well. And so for me to be able to practice with her is great because I feel like um, she's a challenge to be in a, in a heat scenario. And so, um, yeah, and we have a lot of fun. I'm in terms of her just being in Australia, I'm really, I'm so, so stoked she made it and She's worked really hard, and you don't want to see anybody, you know, have to miss these events um, because of something like that. Even though, you know, fortunately it was a it was a false positive, and and she's healthy and feeling good, and and that's the main thing. But um, yeah, it'll be great to have her, and you know, I think for me in every single event, like I want all the best girls there. I don't want to do well in events or win an event um, without having all the best girls there. And in my mind, Caroline's one of the obviously is one of the top girls so um yeah the more the merrier it's, it's going to be a fun fun few events ahead oh thanks lakey well we've had a lot of your time which i'm really happy for i could do this all day but i'm going to get into some of these questions i've been asking everybody on caught inside i mean you personally have been involved in the title race the last couple of seasons and now this year is looking completely different not just with these events in australia but with the rip curl wsl finals all leading up to lower trestles where if you're fifth in the world you've got a chance on one day to become the world champion uh, i know you've had a lot of time to digest this new format uh what's your take yeah i think i'm excited at this point i've had enough time to think about it to kind of <laughs> get it through my head like this is what's happening this is how it's gonna go down um and so i'm okay now i think at first i was a little like you know there was a lot of skepticism, as there was, I think, a lot of people felt that way. But um, but I do like the idea of winning in the water. I do like, I, I love the I love the idea of it. We'll just put it that way. I love that there can be this Super Bowl event, and um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. And and I love personally that it's gonna be at lowers. You know, I'm I'm hoping to be in the that top five going into it. That's a wave I feel extremely confident at, and um, and love, and and I think it's just especially, I mean, for the men too, but for the women, it's so high performance. And I think it's going to just showcase amazing surfing from, you know, whoever those top five girls are at the end of the year. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to definitely get too far ahead of myself. There's a lot of work to be done 
to uh, to get there and be in that top five and in that conversation in September. But um, certainly is a goal of mine, and I'm really excited about it. Do you like the fact that whoever's world number one leading into that event has a clear advantage on that big finals day? I do. I think that was a big thing. Like when we had all these surfer meetings and talked with the WSL when they were playing with this idea of, of doing it um, before it was obviously public. I think that was a thing all of us surfers felt like, hey, whoever is number one in the world, you have to you have to give a clear advantage to because they would have already been world champ, right? So in any other year. So um, I, I do think that that's a great format that they made, you know, number one, whoever, everyone else got to battle it out to get to them. And, and then it's the best two out of three um, in terms of heats. That'll be the world champ. I think, I think that takes the edge off of, um, you know, I think if I was number one going into that event, you'd, you'd certainly feel like you should have an advantage. So going to be fun. It's interesting that the role that world number five would be to try to get to world number one where that's a lot of surfs. I mean, you think three heat wins with the energy that would come with a world title day, then to get into a best of three format, it automatically had me flashback to a final. I don't know if you saw this final. It was Mick Fanning and Dane Reynolds years ago, and they had to surf a lot of heats on one day. I think Dane got hooked up to an IV before to hydrate because it was such a a, a massive day. And Mick, being the machine that he was, just was never going to run out of gas. And some people are like, oh, that's a lot of heats. That's a lot of heats. It reminded me of that because it's happened before. Um, For number five, a wave like lowers what it demands of you physically. Is that a huge hurdle for athletes like yourself? Or will that be pretty pretty standard procedure uh, if you're number five trying to go all the way for a win? Um, I mean, it is a factor for sure. If you, if you've surfed five heats before you even get to that final heat or four heats before you get to that, to the the first heat of the surf off, even, um, it is a factor. I mean, you're not going to be fresh, but at the same time, I think you can like, you can train for that. There's no excuse in a lot of ways too. Um, I feel like we're athletes and there's, you know, you can work hard to make sure that if you put, if you're, if, if I'm in that position, if I come in as fifth, I, fitness is sure as hell not going to be what stops me <laughs> because I can control that. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, in, to an extent, like you can control how fit you are and, and how, you know, how you, whatever, you, what you eat in between your heats and how you're recovering. And, um, I think it is a factor, like you said, no matter what, but I do also feel like it could potentially be, um, a good thing. Cause a lot of times, you know, we talk about momentum, and if a surfer gets on a roll, it, they can be really hard to, to stop. And so, you know, if you come from fifth and you're feeling really good and you just came off four heat wins, sure, you'll be tired, but I think mentally you'd be feeling pretty darn good. So you could have a bit of that momentum um, roll if you're, if you're on the right side of it. It could be a positive yeah, I also think, too, hey, you got to this position being fifth in the world and you've got a shot at a title. That's your shot. I mean, you earned that. Yeah. You're no, you weren't number one, two, three. You, you could still be in it to win it, which maybe you have the most uh, heats to get through. But it's it just makes sense to me that, that you'd have to earn it more than maybe the top couple surfers in the world going into lower trestles. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I think it's only fair um, in terms of the rankings, for sure. I agree. Uh, so exciting. I was talking to uh, Carissa the other day and she talked about how she likes to control things. And I think that's normal when you're just planning a year and you have events you're always going to year after year and that you've won. 
and then being okay with being out of control. And I think the world has gone through that shift of not being able to plan too far to, far ahead, uh, which goes to your mindset mentally of this season on tour of, you know, having the fifth place finish in Maui and then having a huge break and now new events. It, are you still just as steady and confident between the ears as like a normal season on tour? Yeah, I'm certainly trying, I'm trying to approach it that way of like, things are going to change and shift as we've already seen. And so, um, you know, I, I try and just control the things that I can control. I take advantage of those things. And then I think I've just learned that with the state of the world and the circumstances we're in stuff is going to change. And so to be like malleable and moldable is really important. And, um, I feel as though the surfers who can keep a positive headspace and just confidence, no matter kind of what changes or happens, are going to have a real advantage this year. And so that's definitely my goal to, to just be like, okay, I just go with whatever, whatever happens, just roll with the punches or the changes or, you know, whatever at, at this point. I uh, love it. Lakey. our time today has been really incredible. I'm going to dive into your quarantine quiz. Cause I know you probably have a lot of things you want to get into for the rest <laughs> of the day. We'll start off with this question for you. How many boards did you bring with you to Australia? I brought, I don't even know. <laughs> I think I brought, I think I brought like 13, maybe nice. 14. Good. Yeah. Solid, solid amount. <laughs> did you reach out to anyone for advice coming into quarantine? Who were they and what did they say? Um, so when, when all the Aussies came back before us, I FaceTime like Nikki and Sally and, um, Keely Bronte, all of them. So, um, they they were good. Nikki told me one thing I thought was good, but we didn't end up needing it because um, we had the small kitchen here. But she said, if you can bring like a real fork and a knife and a real bowl, because it gets really old eating, you know, when out of just like takeaway stuff. So um, we didn't end up needing that because we have a small kitchen here with some appliances, which we're so thankful for. But I thought that was a good tip. Um, and then, yeah, Sally... Sally just said it's sort of brutal. <laughs> just stay positive. But um, we've been getting through it. Everyone kind of warned me that day eight and nine was pretty gets pretty hard. And I felt like that was that's certainly been true for me. I felt like I was pretty good. And then the last few days got like way harder. So true. I reached out to Steph because yeah. she was in quarantine before us. And her advice was don't do anything too fast. Even with you making your cup of coffee in the morning, enjoy every bit about that process because normally make a cup of coffee and you're like, oh, where am I going now in normal life? But now you're like, wait, I'm going to actually make the best cup I've ever made, you know? And so, yeah, I like that. I like that. Staying really present with that. So three of your must haves that you've needed so far in quarantine. Oh, three must haves. Okay. Um, Headphones, like noise canceling headphones. (laughs) Um, computer and the spin bike has Those that been because of the construction outside of the building construction outside of the building um also for sure that's a must for tom so he can block out my voice <laughs> get annoying <laughs> um but yeah the construction outside just gets a bit annoying so if you can put the blockers on that helps and your overall goal that you had for yourself if any for these 14 days of quarantine my overall goal was to come out more flexible than when I came in. So I feel like I'm doing good. I've been doing yoga every single day and I normally 
do not do yoga every single day. And I've been rolling way more. Um, so yeah, I feel like I am achieving that goal right now, which is good. Have you done hot yoga? Is that where you actually get really, really flexible in that featured yoga? Yeah, I think it is. I, I have done it in the past, but um, not for a while, actually. I do like it, though. It's pretty intense. It's hard. Hot yoga is gnarly. <laughs> Make sure you're hydrated. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Your big charter flight trivia. There's been some fun ones. This is the massive one where... Jack Robinson guessed 11 nationalities on the charter flight. There's uh, 92 board bags on this flight. Uh, it's been fun to just get all these little insights what happened yeah. on this airplane. So for yours, Lakey, <laughs> it's uh, what was the highest number of surfboards checked in by a passenger on the WSL charter flight? So who checked Surf in the most boards? Boards or board bags? Boards, actual surfboards. I'm going to say Jordy Smith with 23. Ooh, wow. Well, by our notes, we might have to double check this. We have three surfers checked in at a total of 18. But did Jordy maybe bring more ah. than, than was on the... Okay. Do you have more insight well, for Lindell, us with that? Well, I, I think I'm... I don't know, though, because Lyndall... I was speaking to her, Jordy's wife, obviously, before we got on the plane. And she said Jordy brought 23 boards. So that's the only reason I know that. So check it. She might be wrong, but well, I'm just I think there's going something to twice. that because we have all of our stats that we got from this charter thing, you know? <laughs> and then yeah. when we're going into the board bag question, I saw how many boards John John had checked in. I was like, hang on. He had three board bags uh, because he, you know, uh, Brandon was carrying one for him, Wasserman, his wife was dragging yeah. one. So I was like, I think there was sort of some sneaky ways to, to actually pack your board <laughs> with some extra equipment for sure. Right. I'm yeah, going to follow yeah, back with sure. another question for you because I feel like we need to do some more investigative research on the amount of boards on the flight. <laughs> okay, dude, check it out. I don't know. I, I feel like I might be right, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to find that out. Lakey, we've had a blast with you. Can we get a quick update on how your husband's doing right now before we let you go? He looks like he's super... Tired. Baby, okay? How you doing? <laughs> I'm getting there. He just asked me for a coffee a minute ago when we... Seven hours to go. <laughs> wow. I'm going to make him a coffee, get some water. He's got seven more hours. Seven more hours. So he's doing good. He's going strong, guys, but it's looking like it's getting painful. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. We're cheering for you, Tom, and we're, we're stoked you're doing it for a good cause for the Wildlife Foundation and Lakey. We are so excited for another great year for you on tour. I know we had a thing on the presentation stage uh, before you were winning and making finals uh, from Friday Night Lights where it was like clear eyes, full heart, you can't lose. And I was able to say that to you multiple times on stage. Uh, I don't know if you want to stick with that tradition or if you want to start a new one when I see you on the podium soon. <laughs> no, let's stick with it. I think it's working for us. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. We'll Love see it, Lakey. You on the podium. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Lakey, all-time legend. Thanks, everybody out around the world for tuning in to Caught Inside. We're dropping an episode every other day. Remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our final guest on episode seven. This is it. It's going to be Griffin Cole Pinto. If you have something that you want to watch, uh, ask Griffin. Let me know. Hit me up at Joe Trapel on Instagram, and we'll see you then. Take care, everybody. See you, Lakey. Have a great day. Thanks, Jess, you guys.